Today's reading is uh, from Mark chapter, uh, verses 16 to 20. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in the boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Well, good morning, everyone. (laughs) First time back in church, and that's as good as you can get. Come on, people. Good morning, everyone. See, if you're watching at home, there are live people here who are really alive. It's great to be here. Uh, If you are watching from home, lots of space. See you next week. Um, Friends, keep your Bibles open to Mark chapter 1, and uh, we'll get straight to work. Let me pray first. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for not just making us, but making yourself known to us through your word, and then uh, eminently through your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So as we consider your words about him now, Help us to give our full attention that we might know him better and love him more and follow him with all of our hearts. Amen. Well, folks talk about uh, having encounters with famous people or even royalty as uh, events that change their lives. You know, literally, it changed my life. Um, But I reckon there's a lot of potential for those sort of encounters to go wrong. A lady by the name of Stephanie Wallstrom, it's a true story, she met Prince William at a London nightclub, so it must have been a few years ago now, and after a few drinks, she sort of built up the Dutch courage to say hello, but in the moment that mattered, she panicked, and all that came out was, your grandma's got my money, which I'm sure is not how she had hoped it would work in her head. There was a Nigerian lady called Natanya. She uh, had to go to a hospital for a blood test for eczema, and it just happened to be the same time that Prince Charles was visiting sick kids with cancer and the like. And he bent down to her and shook her hand and said, what's wrong with you? And when she said eczema, the whole press gallery erupted with giggles. You know, not what you're hoping for the very first time you meet royalty. There was another young lady called Caitlin Rance, and uh, she met an Australian supermodel, Miranda Kerr in Central Park, New York City. is a picture of them. Miranda's in the middle. She is supermodel royalty, right? Not that I know much about these things. But after uh, she took the photo, Miranda Kerr turned to Caitlin and said, you smell really nice, to which Caitlin replied, thanks, it's my sweat. <laughs> Whoops, that didn't <laughs> mean to come out. They say you should not meet your heroes because there's only downside, either you say something Silly or your heroes disappoint you. And I guess that's the same if you're about to meet royalty, isn't it? But in today's passage, when the first disciples met Jesus, the Messiah, God's long-awaited king, his very son in human flesh, no less, they don't say anything, at least not a word recorded. And yet this encounter, briefly described by Mark, truly does change everything for them. You'll know by now that we are studying Mark's gospel this term, but just chapters 1 to 3. We're taking it slowly, we're reading it carefully, because there really is so much in it. And we're calling this series The Story That Changes Everything, because it's the story of the gospel, the story about Jesus, God who became human, who literally changes everything. And that's true for us, 
And it's certainly true for these very first disciples uh, we've just read about from Rusty. So what we're going to see today is that in this early encounter, virtually the first thing Jesus does in his public ministry after announcing there in verse 15, the kingdom of God is near, what we're going to see in this very short encounter is some very important elements about the kingdom of God. We'll discover the relationship at the very center, the task at hand, and the response required. Okay? So the relationship at the center, the task at hand, and the response required. So let's first have a wee look at the relationship at the center of the kingdom of God, which Jesus has just announced here in verse 15 and invited people to believe upon. Now to set the scene, I want you to kind of imagine in your mind's eye Jesus walking along the pebbly shore of the Sea of Galilee up in the north of Israel. In fact, don't imagine it. It looks exactly like that. Now even that, when you think about it, is quite a remarkable thing, isn't it? If, if you were the marketing manager, some of you are marketing managers, and you just launched a blockbuster product, or um, perhaps you were setting out on an election campaign, it would not be obvious that the first thing you would do is to walk along the pebbly shore of a lake way north of the big smoke, Jerusalem, and not even in the more thriving nearby towns like Tiberias. But even that tells you something about the nature of the kingdom that Jesus proclaims. It's going to be unlike any other kingdom of the world. It's otherworldly. And that's reinforced as he comes upon Simon Peter and his brother Andrew casting nets into the water. Uh, maybe they were doing that from the shore or uh, maybe they were wading in the shallows or in a boat not far from the shore. Uh, certainly within ears reach, within shouting distance. Come, follow me. And they do right away. So not only do we find out that this kingdom is is not going to build momentum with kind of large public rallies in all the important cities, coaxing the rich and influential to join the bandwagon, enlisting the help of cultural icons and social media influences along the way. Now, the kingdom starts by Jesus gradually gathering nobodies in a nothing part of the world whilst no one pays attention. It starts by Jesus initiating a relationship with would-be disciples. And that is really the relationship that's at the centre of everything. A relationship with the King, which He initiates with us in a remarkably personal way. For all that being a Christian involves, you know, for all that churches are about, this little episode shows that at its core, it's about a relationship with Jesus that He initiates. Now, having uplifting services is important. Serving our local community is important. Occupying a stunning new facility at the very heart of Manly is an incredible privilege, but those things are not at the heart of the kingdom of God. At the very center is relationship with Jesus, which he initiates among us. We don't call him, he calls us. And I actually think this is an important detail because it marks Jesus out as quite different from the rabbis and the practices of the rabbis in that day. You see, in that culture, potential recruits, students, disciples... Uh, they would approach a rabbi and apply themselves or attach themselves to that rabbi or teacher and they would stay with that rabbi or teacher until they had learnt or they could learn from him uh, before they moved on to another rabbi or, or perhaps they just moved on with their lives. But you see, Jesus here, he takes the initiative. It's the other way around and he asks the disciples to follow him. First with Simon and his brother Andrew in verse 17, come, follow me. Uh, and then again in verse 20, he calls the brother Zebedee James and John, the so-called sons of thunder. 
And so actually Jesus is more like a prophet than a rabbi, not only because he takes the initiative, but because what he requires of his followers is not just a little learning, a few life lessons, but a radical new life, a wholesale apprenticeship. Well, we'll get to that in just a moment. But before we do, it's worth pausing just now to think and really ask whether this relationship that is at the centre of the kingdom of God that is at the centre of the Christian life, is actually at the centre of your life. I'll tell you something that's as real as the ground you walked upon to get in here, as real as the chair you're sitting on, so you know that's real, is that there are people sitting in churches way up and down the peninsula today, right across the city, right across the world, who have been sitting in church for years, maybe even decades, who are active in terms of church activities, community service, social justice, the whole bit, but who have not yet heeded Jesus' call to follow him. But it's at the very centre of everything. And so if you don't have that relationship with Jesus, all the other gear is kind of necessary and as important and wonderful as it may be is really peripheral, it's really window dressing. Jesus is calling us to be his followers, his apprentices. It's at the core of what it's all about. So can I respectfully ask, is it time for you to heed that call today and start to follow him? You might have been a Christian for a long time, many decades, um, but this very day, if you look at your life, you might say, you know, I'm, I'm not really living as though I'm a Christian. I'm functionally acting as though I'm not a believer. And I'm sure that this past year has not been helpful to you in that, in that regard. But today's a good day, isn't it, to, to reheed that call from Jesus, to remind yourself of your identity as one of his apprentices through faith in him, to repent of the overbearing distraction of all your activities and busyness, even though some of them are church activities perhaps, and to recommit to relationship with you. Because you remember, don't you, those times uh, in the past when you've walked closely with, you, with him and you've spent um, time in open prayer with him, and you gave yourself time to listen to him through scripture, you remember them. You remember those times when you walked closely in terms of obedience to him, and it wasn't easy, and yet it was still a joy, because you realized, you experienced that when you follow his ways, it really is the best for you. You remember those times, even if they were a long time ago. Well, maybe today is a good day to press the reset button, to discover or to rediscover, to heed or reheed, to accept or to recommit to this relationship with Jesus, which he initiates in our spirits and which is at the core of his kingdom. Today's a good day for that. Now, um, I can only ever say this when Bruce is not around. He's on holidays. I am not a fisherman. I'm not against it, just not taken by it. I do like fish. I like uh, watching them in uh, Cabbage Tree Bay. You won't find one of them in Cabbage Tree Bay, but um, I like watching them in Cabbage Tree Bay when I go snorkeling. Uh, I went uh, snorkeling just in the enclosed area on West Esplanade two days ago and saw seahorses and a cheeky octopus. Uh, my wife, Carolyn, she often goes, she's always telling me about the fish she saw and she's looking them up online and looking up pictures. So I like fish. Uh, when I was youth minister, I remember we played uh, a few games on camps with fish. So I remember um, playing touch footy with a big squid. 
that we bought from a local fish shop. It wasn't alive. Um, all the other ones were, though. We, we played one big um, giant scavenger game called Finding Nemo, and um, the, the main prize, the ultimate prize, was the capture of Nemo, a, a live goldfish somewhere on site. But we also played this one game that involved the transfer of live fish um, using kids' mouths. And uh, I mean, it was pre-COVID, right? Everything was different back then, if you remember. I can't remember exactly how it worked. All I knew is that there were kids running with live fish in their mouths, and only th and three out of the four fish survived. And I know this because we kept them as pets in a large vase on my dining room table. So I wouldn't say that I'm a fisherman, but I do like fish. Um, but if you think about um, people that lived in Jesus' day, everyone had a familiarity with fishing. They were a basic staple food. It was a major industry, especially on the Mediterranean coast or along the shore of Lake Galilee. And I suppose you could make a pretty reasonable living out of fish because people have always got to eat. So they were familiar with fishing. So when Jesus says to fishermen, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men, or as our newer versions have it, I will send you out to fish for people. It's an easily accessible metaphor, but importantly, it speaks of the task at hand in his kingdom. So the relationship at the centre is with Jesus, in which he calls us and we follow him as apprentices. The task at hand is fishing for men or for people. But you think, well, what does that actually mean? Uh, I'm aware you can kind of stretch an analogy so far, well, beyond the point of elasticity, and it's kind of never the same again. But if you think about fishing, it's really taking the little swimmer out of its natural habitat, out of its natural environment, the water that it has known all its fishy life. And whilst that is normally good for the fishermen, it's normally disastrous for the fish. And for this reason, fishing is sometimes a metaphor for God's judgment in the Old Testament. But in this context, it's really a metaphor for salvation. It's a metaphor that speaks of bringing people from their natural environment, of being outside the kingdom of God to inside the kingdom. That, that pictures people being caught in their rebellion or our rebellion towards God or our polite indifference towards God and being dragged by the compelling message of the gospel in the irresistible hall of the Holy Spirit into the kingdom of God and into relationship with his magnificent son. Which again is why I say that serving our local community, even designing wonderful services are important things. But if they're not somehow connected to fishing for people in some way, what are we really doing here? Are we just playing church? The task at hand for all who follow Jesus is to be fishing for people. What we do, what we say, how we live, the priorities we make in terms of time, energy and money somehow need to be connected, need to point to fishing for people. Truth is, sometimes we are just, um, we're really just kind of throwing out a line, aren't we? Hoping for bites. You know, we mentioned something, maybe what we did on the weekend. Uh, I don't know if you saw on the tennis last night, this American girl just won her match. Uh, she was being interviewed, she was really upbeat and happy about winning. Makes sense. And you know that thing when they, um, they write on the lens of the camera? Have you seen that? Nod your head if you're alive and you've seen that. Okay, excellent. Uh, she just wrote Ephesians 4.32. I said to Carolyn, what does that mean? Can you remember? Uh, I think it's something to do about speaking well to one another. That's like verse 29. 4.32 is forgive one another 
Be kind to one another, forgiving one another, just as in Christ Jesus God forgave you. So she's just fishing. She doesn't know who's taken notice of that, whether they'll be able to make sense of it. Throwing out a line. You know, it's better than just sitting in the boat, isn't it? Oftentimes, though, I reckon we want to be meticulously selecting the right bait, reading the title and wind conditions, you know, like kind of trying to understand our culture, where, where things are at, knowing the habits of the fish, knowing people, where they're at, uh, to bring them out of their natural habitat of hostility or ignorance towards God, to being within his kingdom of grace and truth and compassion and splendor. Friends, that's why we've built this building. Wardens and parish councillors would not have laboured tirelessly just to make a pretty shack for the sake of it. Staff team have not been working in a dusty building site for over two years if this structure does not make it more possible to fish for all kinds of people in our local area. John Dixon has come in to speak for three Sundays in a row in just a fortnight's time. Then he's going to run the Life of Jesus course. Not so that we can be entertained or illuminated, I presume, but because that seems to be an effective way to fish for people in our pond. Hosting a men's event. If you're a man, this event is for you, where Rob and Andy, blokey blokes, are going to testify to following Jesus. We are not doing that because we cannot think of anything else to do on a Friday night. It's so that we might be able to fish for men from our local area. So we've got to take opportunities and advantage of them and look for our own opportunities to fish for people. Dragging folks out of ignorance or hostility, even if it's polite, towards God and into the kingdom of his wonderful son. That is the task that is at hand. Many of you will know that I've got three, we've got three teenage sons. They're great. I love them. They, I love them more than life itself. Great privilege to be their parents. They're not great at communication, however. Uh, you send them a text, you never hear back from them. Even though you know they've read it, because they're still in the house, in the next room. It's the only way you can communicate. But then uh, when they send you a text, like they want an instant answer. Oh, where you been? For a birthday recently, one of them wanted gaming headphones. Uh, they're special headphones that connect to your Xbox video game console so they can talk to all the other losers, I mean other kids, that are also playing video games at the same time instead of being out in the beautiful creation that surrounds us. The Xbox gaming console is basically satanic, I think. But even the headphones are a tool from hell because they can never hear you when you call out to them. All right, boys, dinner's on. By which I mean, like, it is on the table. Like, it is getting cold. Two minutes later, fellas, dinner's on. And then, seriously, 90 seconds, I'm like, dinner! Dinner! And they sort of trudge down the stairs, mumbling, no need for shouting. I'm like, yeah, there is a need for shouting because there's no response at all. Oh, I told you I was coming. I'm like, you told us you were coming in your head but you actually have to say the words out loud. A response is required. That is the required response, right? Something verbal and audible. Now, so far we've seen uh, the relationship at the centre of the kingdom and the task at hand. Uh, thirdly and finally, we see the response required. And as I mentioned earlier, when Jesus called these first disciples, they certainly respond, but it's not verbal or audible. Uh, they, they don't say a thing. 
at least in Mark's record. Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men, says Jesus. Verse 18, have a look at it in your own Bibles. At once they left their nets and followed him. Immediate, wholehearted. Have a look at verse 20, same thing, with James and John. Without delay, Mark uses those kind of words to communicate urgency and immediacy. Without delay, Jesus called them. They left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. At once, without delay, left their nets, left their father. They're all in, wholehearted, sold out for Jesus and with Jesus. It's quite a response. And it may be that Mark is kind of keeping the story moving quickly and he sort of plays um, up the instantaneous angle. You read sort of the parallel passage in Luke chapter 5. It it indicates that these pairs of fishermen knew each other, most likely business partners, had a miraculous encounter with Jesus in the boat on the lake beforehand. So maybe they had just a little more time, maybe just a little more knowledge to draw upon, but not much. And look, you'd also have to say there's something, something of the miraculous about it. Just as Jesus says these disciples will be fishing for people, I mean, Jesus has effectively done just that, hasn't he? He's fished for disciples. He's reeled them in. He's dragged them from their natural environment, just going about their day-to-day business to be his first recruits, his inner circle, the foundations of a new community and the bedrock of his coming kingdom. But their response to his call is not that different to the response of demons in the next section. Jesus will say, be quiet, and they are. Or to diseased folks, be clean, and they are. Or to winds and waves, be still, and they are. Or to a dead girl, get up, and she does. Such that in the way we would typically say Jesus has authority over demons and disease and even death, he also has authority over disciples. Follow me, and they do. There is a uh, miraculous element to it, it seems. But there's also the human element, isn't there? Where they are confronted with the word of God before them. Come follow me. And they do. At once. You know, they don't even say, can I finish mending my nets? Can I draw a business agreement up with my partners? Can I make arrangements with my dad? Can I brief the hired helpers? They're wholehearted, they're all in, they're sold out. It just sounds so unlike us. We're the kings of reservation, aren't we? Kings and queens of reservation. Carve out some margin wisely. We protect our free time ferociously. We, we hold things back and we've been schooled in this form of moderation. And in many senses, it's very wise. I mean, you would know I'm not saying all of you need to go and sell your businesses and flog your homes and leave your jobs and families. I mean, it's good to save for the future. It's good to have some margin, some buffer, some white space in your weekly schedule and all that. But I do think that what might be wise in some parts of our lives can be unbecoming for apprentices of Jesus if we apply it to every part of our lives. I was thinking uh, just this past week, Why in my time here, nearly seven years, has only one young person gone off to Bible college? 
Now, it's not like that is the lit- litmus test of who is a keen Christian, but you just think there'd be more given all that we've been blessed with here. When Jesus says, come follow me, I wonder if we're all just holding a little bit back, you know? I'm uh, aware, I'm, look, I'm way more aware, I'm so thankful and grateful for those who give sacrificially in terms of money. But I sense even within myself there's a temptation to hold back too much. You know, when we think about time and we think about serving, I wonder why is it always 20% that do 80% of the serving? And friends, as a congregation, we've got to get back into the habit of serving. But why is it that 20% always do the 80%? And I'm thinking especially now of kids' ministry, they're front in my mind because they're just so important in themselves but also to the future of the church because we're not getting any younger folks, are we? Why is it that it's always the 20 that do the 80 and you will say, it's always like that, always, everywhere, with everyone. But we're not talking about everywhere with everyone. We're talking about the kingdom of God, as just announced by Jesus. And we are his apprentices and followers. You know, the average Anglican, committed Anglican, comes to church twice a month. You know, the average disciple left his nets and followed Jesus. It just sounds different. The required response is wholehearted, it is all in, it is sold out for him. And I think it would do us well to just consider what that might look like with our time, with our energy, with our affections, with our cash and our service and our careers and our friendships and our obedience and so on. I was on the B1 bus coming home from the city yesterday and I saw on a sign outside a church in the city, Following Jesus means more than just admiration. Isn't that the truth? Isn't it? Well, as we finish, we started by thinking about people who encountered royalty and how their words let them down. Then we, we've been thinking about these first disciples when, when they encountered Jesus, the king of an otherworldly kingdom, and how they said nothing when he called them, but they left their nets at once and followed him. It is about a relationship with Jesus. It's at the center of everything. There is a task at hand to be getting on with. It's dragging people into his kingdom. And there is a a response that is required, all in, wholehearted with him. Friends, which of those has piqued your interest this morning? Which of those has provoked your conscience today? And will you give yourself to that this year? Let's take a moment to pray together. I'm going to give us some space where I'll just shut up. It'll give you a chance to repent, perhaps, or to recommit, or to press the reset button. And then I'll lead us in a closing prayer.
Dear Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for this little episode, five or six very brief verses that reveal the relationship at the very centre of your kingdom with your magnificent Son, who invites us not just to believe in him, but to be with him as his apprentices. And forgive us for where we have just been derelict and uh, we recommit to relationship with him. I pray for friends here who may not yet know him as Lord, Saviour, friend, that you might put it upon their hearts to investigate that further. Lord, we recognise there is a task at hand and forgive us for those times where we've been derelict in that duty and to recommit ourselves fresh to that with all the wonderful possibilities that this new time and this new place holds for us. And we recognise that there is a, res a required response of going all in uh, that mirrors the response of these first disciples and forgive us for the times that we have held so much back and we recommit to following you with all of our hearts and all of our lives. In Jesus' beautiful name and for his glory we pray these things. Amen.